Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where we ask the question, is attempted suicide really such a great way to get on the cheerleading squad? <laughs> this is serious, Mary. Uh-huh. Sweet Valley High number 10, the wrong kind of girl. Watch it, Annie Whitman. Jessica's out to get you. Sweet Valley, Sweet Valley, go, go, go. <laughs> Woo! Y'all can't see this, but we are lifting our arms up and we are getting Invisible into it. pom-poms. Invisible pom-poms. I'm your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and with me today, I'm so, so excited to have one of my very favorite people ever, my friend and former roommate for a year in college, Mary Parker. Chicago, represent... Yes. Neither of us live there now, but both of us lived there at various points in our <laughs> lives. So we're representing Chicago here in LA. And I'm so happy that you could be here to I discuss am. a really, really, really important book to me. And um, yesterday we went to the beach. Mm-hmm. We read this book side by side on the beaches of Santa Monica. It was beautiful. Yeah. And, um, of course, the book in question is book number 10 of Sweet Valley High, Wrong Kind of Girl. But what's the right kind of girl? Clearly the blondest, most Aryan, and purest. This is what I learned (laughs) from this book. Okay. So, uh, getting into some, um, kind of World War II talk role early on in the discussion (laughs) this time. You know me. Um, But, you know, it's pertinent, unfortunately, in our uh, our modern times. But let me start by asking a question. Before we get into the plot of this book, um, let's just start with a simple question that I ask all my guests. Before reading this book, had you ever heard of the Sweet Valley High series? Oh, absolutely I had. Because I was a child in the 80s, and I was a girl, and they had like two of the littler kids books in our classroom in third sure. grade. Yeah. Probably Sweet Valley Kids or Sweet Valley Twins. Yeah, true. And you know, I just thought of something. We were talking the other day about the book that I read the most often. I think it was the only one I owned of the Sweet Valley Twins where they were taking ballet classes and Jessica had worn lipstick on her first day of ballet class and they're like, I don't know, 10 years old, I think. And basically the teacher kind of slut-shamed Jessica for being a little trampy little girl, and now Jessica is the one doing the slut shaming. Yes, so if, this is really interesting, because mm-hmm. if that universe did affect the events of Sweet Valley High, maybe being slut shamed as a child mm-hmm. for her trampy wardrobe mm-hmm. might have led Jessica Wakefield onto an adult or teenhood where she did not feel as comfortable slut shaming Annie Whitman, the star slash hero, question mark, of <laughs> this particular little book. Yeah. Now, um, ha- so you'd read a Sweet Valley High novel before, you'd mm-hmm. heard of the series, um, and I really do want to talk a little bit more about another way in which I know for a fact that you're very familiar with Sweet Valley High and my fascination with it, and that's all tied together in this book as well. Um, this specific book, number 10, Wrong Kind of Girl. But we can save that until after we uh, talk through the plot. So yes. let's get right into it. Okay, did you want to issue your warning? Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. I mean... Listen up, guys. I can't believe this is happening, <laughs> but I'm going to have to issue a trigger warning. Oh, we're going to talk about suicide in this book. Well, attempted suicide, yeah. Attempted suicide. Yep. Um, I just didn't want them to worry that someone was actually going to die. I want to put that right out there right now. It'll be that fine. That happens later. Ooh. Stay tuned. Okay. <laughs> not in book 10. Spoiler alert, sure. nobody dies. <laughs> but sometimes a trigger warning is also a spoiler alert. Yeah. And this is one of those cases. Mm-hmm. So maybe I should have issued the spoiler alert first. <laughs> anyway. For a book that is, what, 30-something years old now? <laughs> Can I just say... Before we even open this book, I would like to make a comment about the cover art and how Please. Annie in this cover art looks like a middle-aged suburban mom. It might just be the haircut, but it is it is a brown short haircut that I have seen on many a lady in a commercial who loves salad. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. 
I, I just wanted to point that she out. She seems to be wearing a very modest uh, lavender tank top. Mm-hmm. But before, let's talk about Annie Whitman, because even if you were following along with every book in this series, you wouldn't know who Annie Whitman is, because she's a new character. Mm-hmm. She's a sophomore. Ugh. <laughs> Only 15. Not a cool 16-year-old okay. like our twins and heroes. The IRL sophomores are terrible. Okay, fair enough, yep. fair enough. That's why sophomoric is an insult. Oh, yeah. Because everybody knows 10th yeah. grade is the grade that people are shitting. Sophomore slump, it's a thing. But Annie Whitman, she's not so bad. Um, but the book does describe her as very beautiful, very beautiful. She used to be a model, apparently, but so she wasn't really into that. And um, she definitely does not exactly live up to the standards of, like, indescribable beauty on the cover of this book. Not so much, no. Especially when contrasted with Jessica, who is standing behind her her right shoulder, looking very catty, like a lady from Dynasty. See, I almost think that Jessica looks like that Annie Whitman. She's definitely going to be on the cheerleading squad, but we know that that's not what's going to happen. Maybe I'm reading into it. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you now know. And Annie's the one who's like, I don't know about this cheerleading business, but in reality, the opposite thing is what's happening. Mm -hmm. Annie is living her entire life on the premise that she will be getting into the cheerleading squad. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jessica Wakefield, co-head cheerleader with Robin Wilson. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's pause for a moment to remember that Robin Wilson, just six short books ago, was really fat girl who ran around a track a bunch of times to lose weight. You did not tell me this. You didn't know, but I know. And listeners, regular listeners to the program will be aware of Robin Wilson's backstory. Listeners, why didn't you warn me about this? Jessica is... uh, responsible in a way for Robin's weight loss, but it's through a similar means to what happens in this book, which is that Jessica's terribleness and ostracization are the things that lead to Robin being like, fuck this, I'm going to show them all. And then it's actually kind of just desserts that Jessica and Robin Wilson are now co-captains of the cheerleading Mm -hmm. squad. But we do need to address the fact that these books kind of like don't allow trauma to have any, like, resonance. Like, the kind of emotional trauma of being blackballed by the sorority of girls that you're trying to get in with at 16, and now it's, like, question mark days later. I mean, time doesn't really exist in these books, so maybe that's why everybody has time to get over the trauma. Mm -hmm. But Well, on the other hand, though, there was, like, one sentence, I believe, where Robin was, like, thinking to herself that she knew what it was like to be ostracized by Jessica, so she felt bad for Annie. That's very correct, and that's all the reference to it that we get, Mm. but I do like that that's a little present there for anybody who's a regular reader. (laughs) Like, you guys know what we're talking about, you Sweet Valley heads. Um, This is still pretty early on in the series, so um, they want a reward. They're dedicated listeners. Speaking of another reward of a mentioning of a plot thing that happened earlier, when we get to it, I would like to talk about how could Annie possibly be dating someone who kidnapped the twins and took them to a bar? I don't know what happened, but this Rick guy sounds like a real piece this of work. This is very important. Let's actually start here. Okay. So we're, we're getting into the book, and Jessica and Robin are, and the whole cheerleading squad are getting ready to fill two slots on the very small, very selective Sweet Valley High School cheerleading squad. Smallest cheerleading squad of any high school I've ever seen. I've never seen a cheerleading squad that was only seven people. Only seven people. seems crazy, but whatever. And right now they only have five. And Jessica has kind of promised one of the slots to Kara Walker. And she's there's a really hilarious conversation early on with Elizabeth where Elizabeth is like, don't you mean there's only one slot to fill? And Jessica's like, what are you talking about? And Liz is like, (laughs) Kara Walker. And she's like, oh, Kara won't necessarily get in. And Liz is like, okay, great, two slots. And Jess is like, oh, but Kara will definitely do great in the auditions and get in. (laughs) And Liz is like, well, there you go, one slot. It's just, it was, it's just so perfect. Is it endemic of their relationship? Not really, because what's endemic of the relationship um, happens later on. We'll get to that. Let's, we kept people waiting long enough at this point. Absolutely. Get into it. So cheerleading auditions are happening and there is one girl who Jessica just can't believe that she... She even has the nerve to sign up for auditions, let alone actually come to auditions. And that girl is Annie Whitman, Mm -hmm. who Jessica only refers to by one name pretty much unilaterally throughout the book. And that name is... Easy Annie. 
Yes. Easy Annie. Now, Easy Annie has a reputation uh, because she goes out with a lot of boys. And I think it is uh, telling that the first boy that is mentioned that she's been dating on and off is Rick Andover, who from book one of the series uh, is no good. You mentioned the kidnapping. I mean, that's... Bad dude. He basically carjacked them and drove them to Kelly's, which is the bar. What? Yeah. These are 16-year-olds, people. Yeah. Actually, Annie is 15. That's another issue. I don't know how old Rick Andover is, because he mm. dropped out of high school, so he's kind of like an adult. Who knows, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, only bad people hang out with Rick Andover. Bad people like Jessica Wakefield. But no, she, she only, she held, hung out with him for a night, and then she jumped him, and then people thought Elizabeth was bad. So it does, I'm making a, a snide remark, but it does track Absolutely. the people who hang out with Rick Andover get a bad reputation mm-hmm. overnight. But she also goes out with a lot of other boys. Does she have sex with those boys? Unclear. Probably not. She doesn't, she seems very innocent. And like a lot of people in the book mention, Annie is only 15 and they call her kid a lot. She's just a kid. She's just a kid. And they say that she's just acts so young. And she really does. People who are defending her say that. Like, how can people say these things about her? She's just a kid. Now, we know that a 15-year-old is perfectly capable of being promiscuous. Oh, absolutely. She just seems so innocent. She does. And one thing that is really kind of heartbreaking in the book is that Elizabeth becomes aware through tutoring Annie. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a step back. Elizabeth has been tutoring Annie in math. Mm-hmm. She's doing this even though she knows that it will make Jessica mad because the thing that might keep Annie from getting on the squad is... Bad grades. Bad grades. So she knows that if she doesn't tutor Annie, she won't have the good enough grades to get on the squad, and then Jessica won't have to worry about it. Um, but she kind of just tutors Annie in secret for a little while. Mm-hmm. And Annie responds really well to the tutoring, but that creates a friendship between Elizabeth and Annie that just is kind of secret from Jessica, who would just can't believe that the gall of this slutty girl. Yeah. Now, again, there's no evidence. It's really all rumors. But it, the idea does come up that boys tell stories about yeah. Annie. But even later in the book, when somebody asks Elizabeth, like, oh, you're friends with Annie, Elizabeth has to, like, take a beat. And be like, am I friends with Annie? Like she's, it's never occurred to her before, despite how many time, how many hours she spent with her and how Annie has confided in Elizabeth all of her like darkest parts of her life and how her mom is not really present and her mom's boyfriend Johnny is a creeper. Super creepy. And how she feels about being cheerleaders. Like she's going to die if she doesn't become a cheerleader, you know, foreshadowing. Yeah. But, um, Elizabeth seems to think that they are not friends and also seems to also be thinking about Annie as a child. Well, I think that Elizabeth pauses and she's like, you know what? Yeah, I guess we are friends. Yeah. But it's underlined by like chapters later Mm -hmm. when Elizabeth refers to herself as Annie's friend and Annie's like, we're friends. We're friends? Because Annie doesn't have any friends. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a weird character. She doesn't have any girlfriends, but she has no problem With with boys And um, she spends a lot of time with them. And I do think it is a believable idea that high school boys would hang out with this girl and then use it in a kind of like easy A. Absolutely. Maybe this is an inspiration for the Emma Stone film, Easy A. Probably. Let's say yes. Um. (laughs) I mean, really, we know that this was probably a bigger influence to that than The Scarlet Letter, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many people have read The Scarlet Letter? They say it's an adaptation of Nathaniel Hawthorne's (laughs) Mm -hmm. The Scarlet Letter, but really I think EZA is an adaptation of The Wrong Kind of Girl uh, created by Francine Pascal. Scarlet Letter, notoriously boring book. That's actually true. That's a really boring book. Anyway, uh, so... What I found odd about Annie's characterization as be, as not having friends is that everybody except Jessica seems to like her just fine. And nobody believes these rumors or they don't really talk about them or seem to be that worried about them except for Jessica. Jessica is constantly reminding people that Annie has a reputation as a slut. And people are like, oh, I don't know. That might just be a rumor. Everybody, every single person. That's no one true. is like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Oops. I just spilled beer, listeners. But the one thing that we know for sure about Jessica is that she is popular and she's great at being popular. True. And it's, she's all about the image. So it strikes me as very odd that she seems to be hung up on this fact when no one else is because Jessica is like the ultimate at following the crowd and 
I don't know. Maybe it's because she's a trendsetter, so she's trendsetting the shaming of Annie. But it's it's odd that she cares so much when no one else seems to. Yeah, I think that I wouldn't say so much that she's good at following the crowd, that she wants the crowd to follow her. But you're right that her concern about Annie seems to reflect more the opposite. Now, this is something important to get into. The reason that Jessica doesn't want Annie on the squad, in case it's not obvious, is because she is sure that having a slutty girl on the cheerleading squad will ruin all of their reputations. Right. Now, this is problematic for a couple of reasons. From a modern perspective, sorry to any cheerleaders out there, I don't think that most of us think of high school cheerleaders as the chastest of <laughs> yeah. the high school students, right? Maybe I think this book was old enough that it still had the holdover from the 50s. Like where the Sandra Dee kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, where Maybe. the cheerleaders might have been the, the, I don't know. Number two, Jessica's whole reputation Maybe it's not about having sex with boys, but it's all about having boys wrapped around her finger. Mm -hmm. So I think that Jessica's real secret problem with Annie is that she is jealous of Annie. Oh, yeah. And we see that played out in this book. Yes, at the dance contest. Yes. The world's worst dance contest. Yeah. um, (laughs) The beach disco. So... This book's plot is actually pretty quick because most of what's happening is a kind of escalation. There are multiple tryouts for the cheerleaders where they're weeding them down from 75 to 25, from 25 to 8 to find the top two. And they know that the top three at some point are Annie, Sandy Bacon, and Kara Walker. Sandy Bacon will come up later. Sandy Bacon. (laughs) That's what Robin Wilson's name should have been, right? Oh, yeah. Poor fat girl. So Sandy Bacon's not fat, nor is Robin Wilson anymore, so everybody's happy, because, um, (laughs) anyway, (laughs) put my bitterness aside about that element of the book, Uh and, or all of the books, the series, (laughs) and, like, the world. (laughs) True. But, um, Jessica has increasing frustration and ire and is increasingly being kind of Machiavellian about trying to figure out who's mm-hmm. going to vote for whom. But the thing is, Annie is by far, far and away. Oh, the best. The best. She's yeah. a great gymnast. She brings her own pom-poms. She's, she's amazing. beautiful. She's flexible. She does cartwheels and backflips. She has a great attitude and she really wants she it. She wants it so bad. And all the other girls on the squad are kind of like, yeah, what? You don't want Annie on the squad, Jess? <laughs> but Annie's so great. She'll make us look good. Like... Jess is not having any of it. Jess says, no, no, she'll make us look bad. Um, Annie goes on a date with Tim something. Helen Bradley's brother, Tim Bradley, who is not a... Neither of those are characters that matter in the series in general. Mm. But Jessica's like, oh, look, Helen, she's even taking your brother Tim down the dark path now. Oh, like, yeah. Side note, doesn't Jessica want Tim? Or there's some guy that Robin dates. <laughs> she says... That Jessica You mean wants. Annie, the Annie Annie, dates. sorry, the Annie dates. That Jessica wants. What happens is. And then she's like, and he's such a slut for dating that guy. And it's like, you wanted that guy yourself. It's not that she's a slut for dating that guy. It's that, oh, she's dating yet another guy. But you're right. This is the Mm -hmm. first sign of the the depth of the jealousy. Annie is arguably a better, would be a better cheerleader than Jessica. Totally. She um, gets Tim Bradley. It's so funny. He walks into the gym. And when we see Annie leave with him, we get this little like look inside Jessica's head. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. What it said was she thought that maybe he had shown up just to ask her to buy her a Coke later. (laughs) A Coke. A Coke. Capital C. Yep. That is the pinnacle of relationships in terms of Sweet Valley High. It's like buying people a soda. I mean, if you get really serious, maybe he'll buy you a milkshake and a burger at the Dairy Burger. Dairy with an I. Yes. We know the Dairy Burger well mm-hmm. here at Sweet Valley Diaries. Just, just saying. But um, I gotta, you gotta admire the confidence, just like the pure, like, <laughs> like just chutzpah of like, oh, that guy that I like is here. He's probably here to offer to buy me a soda. Yeah. He's here to talk to me. Not one of the 75 other girls <laughs> in the room who are all at least think themselves pretty enough to try out for cheerleaders. Nope, he's here for me, Jessica Wakefield. So we're tapping into something here that will probably will lead us pretty well through the rest of the plot because the book doesn't say much about Jessica being jealous of Annie, but it Mm -hmm. is a driving factor, and Elizabeth knows it. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth watches later on as this dance contest at the Beach Disco, of course, (laughs) unfolds, 
And oh, do, what's the name of the band that's playing at the beach oh, disco? God, it's not like the, the droids. The sloppy waves or something. No, it's like the surfers wave. The surfers wave. Okay, yeah, that's a real band name. <laughs> they probably played Jethro Tull covers. That would be my guess. And then there's a dance that contest to those. Big eighties. And there's just a guy, a guy named Mel. I don't know who Mel is, but I guess he works at the beach disco. And he holds his hand over the couples, mm-hmm. and it's down to Jessica and her date, who's like skip. Harrington or something. I can't remember his name. (laughs) Skip something, though. And But it's not just that Annie is the competition. It's that she's there with Bruce Patman. Bruce Patman. I have feelings about Bruce Patman because of the one other Sweet Valley book I read, which actually starred Lila Fowler. Hold hold that thought for the boys section. We're going to talk about boys later. Great. Okay, so they... Of course, Annie wins the dance contest, and Elizabeth is like... Oh, shit. That's it for Annie. That's it for Annie. Sorry. She knows her sister. Um, And there is an interesting thing that happens here that this is the thing that I think Mm -hmm. encapsulates Elizabeth and Jessica's relationship. It's that Todd is like, Elizabeth, what's wrong? You're not talking. You're clearly upset. What's going on with you? And Elizabeth is actually kind of like, angry at Todd for guessing that Jessica is the root of her problem. But Jessica Mm -hmm. is the root of her problem. But do you feel a little bit like Elizabeth has maybe a touch of Stockholm syndrome or something? I really do. Because she knows how terrible Jessica is. And yet the few times that she and Jessica have pleasant interactions or when Jessica feels true remorse for her horrible actions, Elizabeth is like, yeah, this is the real Jessica. And it's like, no, this is Jessica 5% of the time. And you are there for all of it. You should know. Yeah. Like, you should know better than anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this moment where, on page 79, where things really get serious, and Elizabeth tells Todd that she's not thinking about, like, their conversation. Like, she's thinking her head is somewhere else. And Todd jumps to the conclusion that she's thinking about another boy. Like, you won't tell me what's up. Yeah, Todd seems like kind of a dim bulb, but that's... Aww, that's I'll defend Todd to the death. But he is a little bit ridiculous in this in this particular book. And he actually refers to himself as a dumb jock a lot of times. Yeah. It's a little weird. But um, they actually have a fight mm-hmm. at Todd's house. That Then they... The so mom loud leaves, that his mom comes in. <laughs> and then the mom leaves the room and Elizabeth's next line is, Your mom is nice. <laughs> but anyway... Um, Todd says, these things don't by some strange chance have to do with your perfect saintly sister, do they? And Elizabeth gets up and she's like, there you go again, Todd Wilkins. You really have it in for Jess. And the book actually goes on to explain her her mindset. She like doesn't want to tell Todd what's really wrong because... She knows it, that he'll... Be mad at Jessica on her behalf, as well he should, as a good boyfriend. Identifying the correct problem and being mad at it. It, Good job, Todd. It's a little bit of an I told you so thing, but it's also like, this is just proving the point that I'm always arguing with you, that she's not so bad. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I'm giving you evidence to suggest that she is bad. I'm so sorry to all the Jessica lovers out there that I (laughs) feel like I made this podcast these first... 10 episodes. Look, there's a lot of books in this series. I'm sure that Jessica will be good in one of them, but to be fair, she is written very much like a villain in most of these stories. Yeah. And there, there has she to be does like... Ha- she has a... She gets she gets a moment of redemption, a big moment of redemption in this book. Yeah, you're laughing. An unrealistic you moment of redemption, but sure, whatever. All right, well, let's go on. Let's move on from Liz and Todd mm-hmm. to Annie. Um, so it comes down to three girls. Mm-hmm. Um... And Annie is one of those three. We named them already. Mm-hmm. Annie, Kara, Sandy Bacon. <laughs> it's the final auditions. Kara does great. Annie does amazing. Mm-hmm. This is the final auditions of eight, by the way, but they're the three standouts. Yeah, those aren't even named. Yeah. Kara does great. Annie does perfect, amazing, like mind-blowing backflips and hops, and she's soaring like a dancer and ballerina Cirque du Soleil motherfucker yeah it's wonderful (laughs) and then there's Sandy who goes before Annie who totally fucks up she falls she falls down during her cheerleading auditions yeah 
And they and they mention that she has fallen at least once before in her life, which is kind of weird to bring up. At but, Lila Fowler's pool party. Yeah. She did a belly flop or something into the yeah. water, and it was so hilarious. But um, Jessica, it should be noted, has already kind of rigged the voting because she knows that uh, two people are definitely at least going to vote for Annie. Mm-hmm. And she knows that two people, herself and Sandy's best friend, Maria Santelli, are going to vote for Sandy for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, not Maria Santelli. It's Jean. Uh, anyway, anyway, this is not important. It doesn't matter. Jean West is Sandy Megan's best friend. That's right. Okay. I am not referring to any text right now, and I am. Oh no, she's not. I can confirm. <laughs> I can't this believe this is all from memory. The depth of this there, they, obsession. These names and these plot lines are in Marissa's brain. So Jeannie West is definitely going to vote for Sandy Bacon. So and Maria Santelli is definitely going to vote for Annie. Mm-hmm. As is Robin, who's like. Fuck this Jessica noise. I'm like, <laughs> Jessica telling me not to vote for somebody is only going to make me want to vote for them As more. Well it should. And then, so she's trying to sway Helen. So she's trying to swing the votes for Sandy Bacon. Mm-hmm. So Sandy Bacon screwing up is a big problem because there's no like fourth person right. that she can now scramble to, to make it uh, outvote Annie. Yeah. Yeah. And also Helen seems real dumb. Jessica takes her to the mall and buys her a Diet Coke. A Diet Coke. Because only men can buy you real Coke, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why Helen never gets her own book. Oh, okay. Too stupid. Too stupid. Yeah. Aww. Jessica takes her to the mall to have soda and manipulates her in the most obvious Machiavellian way into voting for Sandy. She's like, it's all down to you. Don't you see? And Helen's like, oh my goodness. Like, Jessica has to spell it out for her. Like, she tries to be real subtle, and then it doesn't really work, and so she has to be more obvious. And then Helen finally gets it, and it's kind of sad. So there's a character we haven't mentioned yet in the book who is essentially like the team manager for the cheerleading squad. Oh, Little Ricky, Ricky Capaldo, who is very precious. He's actually the only person in the entire book and one of very few people in the entire series who is described rather than as their beauty, mm-hmm. detailed description of their beauty. He's described as plain looking. Mm-hmm. He's okay. He's okay. And he gets... Uh, he could maybe model for Sears, but definitely not for Abercrombie. There's this kind of sweet bit where repeatedly he's the one who's like posting the list of who made the cut on the cheerleading squad Mm -hmm. and so it means that there are tons of girls all over him and people kind of like rib him about it like oh you got seven girls at once now ricky Mm -hmm. cabaldo and he's like hey 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 because like they all view him as like a little brother yep they do they call him a pal they call him a bud I think it's very real, and that's why we're like, oh, Ricky. It's like we've all known a Ricky. We all haven't known a Ricky, and but I, I will say in Ricky's defense that he never comes across as having a nice guy syndrome where he feels like he deserves sexual attention from these girls no, by being all. a nice guy. He thinks of himself as a nice guy, and when he thinks about a girl he likes, which, spoiler alert, Annie. He likes Annie, okay? Everyone likes Annie. All the boys, anyway. So he thinks about Annie, and he immediately thinks, oh, well, she's very popular, and she'd never go for me. And he doesn't seem bitter about it. No. He's just, that's the facts of life. I'm just little Ricky. Oh, well. There's an important element, though, and I want to read a a passage from page 63. That kind of um, is a foreshadowing of the real value of what Ricky brings to the table for Annie. You said everybody likes Annie. Mm -hmm. But when Annie's talking to Jessica, I'm sorry. But when Annie's talking to Elizabeth about dating boys so much, she actually expresses kind of a confusion, like, how do you and Todd do it? (laughs) And Elizabeth's like, what? Like, you have lots of boyfriends. Like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, it seems like you really like hanging out with each other and you have fun. She says, Elizabeth says, I think it takes time to develop a good relationship, Annie. Time, trust, and respect. And Annie says, and it just breaks your heart. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think any boy I've known has respected me, and I don't think I've ever respected any of them. Yeah. In another book where the characters might have been a little deeper and better written, this would have been Annie's come-to-Jesus moment, but unfortunately, she says it kind of in passing, and it doesn't take. And the sentence that follows is, but that's all over now. I'm a different person now. I'm almost a Sweet Valley High cheerleader. Oh, Annie. Precious, precious Annie. So now move along to the final decision. And Annie is uh, getting notes passed from Ricky 
Uh, in Spanish class. Yeah. And she's come to kind of like Ricky a little bit too. They have, but they haven't exchanged any words about it. But they've been hanging out, gotten mm-hmm. a little bit closer. Yep. So she's highly anticipating getting this note from him that tells her whether or not she's made it onto the squad. Yep. And she expects it to be a congratulations letter. She really does. And as well, she should. She Everybody's knows been she cheering at it. Cheering. Cheering Every- for her. Yeah. Clapping for her. She... Okay, she knows she did the best, and that's a good thing. I'm I'm glad that she at least has that confidence, even if she doesn't. Her think. confidence in herself is not misplaced at all. No, it's not. Um, but of course, the letter says, "We're sorry to inform you that you've not been selected." Yeah, that was a real awkward formal note that Ricky passed in Spanish class. Yeah, it was it like was, an official yeah. note from the Sweet Valley High School. We sincerely squad. regret to inform you that you have not been chosen. Like there were a number of qualified like, applicants. It was very odd. Was he passing notes like that to all the cheerleaders? No, that maybe no. he got in. Okay, no, it I was just her. So. It didn't seem that way in the book. No. He so felt, he felt bad about it, I think, and that's just what came out. Like he's a middle manager. But so anyway, in the aftermath of this, Annie doesn't come to school for a few days, mm-hmm. and Ricky is worried. And Elizabeth doesn't really notice because, <laughs> as we've established, Elizabeth is not really friends with Annie. But also, they're in a different grade, so like, yeah. I guess uh, she's like, "Oh, that's too bad." But it's actually a little weird that Elizabeth isn't more concerned it's based on these weird. books. I think mean, usually in a book like this, this would be the chapter during which Elizabeth finally starts to take interest and like, yeah. There are a lot of books, especially later in the series, that are about a secondary character that we've never met before, where Elizabeth doesn't even make an appearance until she rushes in in Chapter 9 to save the day. It's also weird because Elizabeth has had literally no other problems this entire book. She's only been thinking about Annie. There's really no B story in this book. It's all Annie. Um, In fact, even the super weird moment, I want to see if I can find it, where she meets um, Annie's mom's creepy boyfriend johnny oh, yeah, that's pretty that's pretty it's so gross and but it goes nowhere and then at the end of the book annie's mom decides to break up with johnny off off screen <laughs> even though from what we've seen johnny hadn't done anything recently to warrant a dumping but he's a creepster in general so i guess we don't care he leered oh. at elizabeth is what he did we're jumping ahead yes we are Annie doesn't make the squad. She stays home for a few days. During those few days, apparently Ricky calls her several times and even goes to her house because Annie's mom recognizes Ricky later. They find out from Ricky that Annie has taken a bottle of pills and is being rushed to the hospital. Ricky's the one that finds her. Yeah, he finds her her not breathing and pale on the bathroom floor. Yep. He finds the bottle. He brings it to the hospital because Ricky is a genius and he's the best one. So and, Ricky calls the Wakefield's house and tells Elizabeth about this. And Elizabeth tells Jessica, who's immediately like, I'm sorry, what happened? Jessica is completely blown away and immediately regretful, which sure, but I'm I'm not ready to forgive Jessica myself. So No, but I think that Jessica's reaction is similar to my reaction at this point because we haven't <laughs> really been given any clues that Annie is suicidal other than the fact that she does say a few times, I would just die if I didn't make the cheerleading squad. But that's what 15-year-olds say yeah. when they want something. Yeah. yeah. So they take their Fiat Spider mm-hmm. to... The famous Fiat Spider. The famous Fiat Spider to the hospital where... The mom doesn't show up for a while, so they're sitting in the emergency room with Ricky, and they are describing some of the other patients in the emergency room who are all bloody and gross, mm-hmm. just to see like how horrible it is. To be in the emergency room is yeah. horrible. Finally, the mom comes. They get to go in and see Annie. They've pumped her stomach, but she's unconscious, and they like the doctors are not hopeful that because it's work. sometimes when somebody's in a coma, they don't come out of it because they, don't they just don't have the will to live, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they go to the doctor's office, Jessica and Elizabeth, to talk to him. And he gives up all kinds of medical information that normal doctors wouldn't to <laughs> people that aren't family members. But anyway, he basically says, Jessica confesses that she is the source of all of Annie's problems and that she is the one that caused her to attempt suicide. And that is a whole other issue that is a thing in fiction where that is not a real depiction of mental illness. But hey, whatever. Anyway, so the doctor basically says she needs something to live for. And it takes Jessica longer than you might expect to get the idea of like, oh, well, obviously I have to go in and talk to Annie and tell her that she's on the cheerleading squad. 
the, and oh, and the doctor makes it very clear that you have to give her something to live for, but then you can't take it back. Yeah, you can't just it say has to be it true. and then retract it. Yeah, yeah, which doesn't that seem would do real. even more damage. I'm like, no, this, none of this is real. If this she woke all... up from the coma, I don't think she'd go back in the coma because you rescinded your offer. I guess she could try to kill herself again. That's but true. Whatever. But I will say that this book actually offers us very few insights into Jessica's mind, mm-hmm. which is rare for these books. Usually, switch back and forth a lot. Yeah, it's mostly Elizabeth. When we do finally get a glimpse into Jessica's thinking. She's already said that she just didn't realize that this mattered so much to Annie. Then we get a glimpse into, which, I mean, I don't know. Like, everybody, she says, when Ricky tries to tell her, Annie really wants this. Like, really, you need to let her on the squad. Before she's made her final decision, Ricky makes a plea for Annie. Like, look, Annie was obviously the best. She really wants this, please. Jessica's like, well, you know, tough noogies. (laughs) Like, sometimes you have to learn in life to deal with disappointment, which is not wrong no not at all uh and then she but when we get a glimpse into the side of her head after annie has uh, attempted suicide and she's in the coma jessica says to herself i knew how much annie wanted it was clear like who am i kidding it was clear that she wanted this so badly Mm -hmm. and she was the best and all i was i was so obsessed with these rumors and them being true and keeping her off the squad that i did my darndest to make sure she didn't get what she wanted Mm mm-hmm um, yeah. So what does Jessica do? Jessica rushes to Annie's room, holds her hand through the entire night and apparently just repeats over and over that she needs to be on the cheerleading squad and they need her and they want her because at some point Elizabeth falls asleep. And when she wakes up, Jessica is still kneeling at the bed, holding Annie's hand and mm-hmm. telling her and like being specific, like, you know, there's a big game with know, the Panthers or whatever mm-hmm. in two days. We need you there. You have to be better by then. Like, we, and then she goes later. She comes back to the hospital and she's brought her a, the the outfit, so everyone's really happy. Mm-hmm. But eventually, Annie does wake up, and it's a happy ending. She hears from the depths of her coma. She hears a voice and an anchor in the darkness. Actually, I underlined uh, one passage. Please that, share it with us. Okay, this this is not even it. Oh, here we go. Somewhere deep in her pool of fright and loneliness, Annie Whitman had found an anchor. Something held her, kept her from drifting beyond the horizon of infinity. And I underlined horizon of infinity because I felt like it would make a great name for Annie's future goth band, which is like a guaranteed. Because it's the (laughs) 80s and she has had this terrible experience at 15. She would be the queen of the goths. And she was raised by this single mother who's an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and had her when she was 16 and she doesn't have any friends. She only has boys, and she yeah. Goth it's band. an apartment with ultra modern furniture. Goth band sounds like yeah, and it's in her future. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, um, what happens is that Annie wakes up from the coma. Uh, she's so happy, and she actually, to her credit, says, "Jess, you don't have to really let me on the squad. It's okay. I think I can live without it now." And I didn't remember that part of this book. And when I got to it, re- reading it again, I was like. Oh, I'm really glad that's in there. They make you feel a little better for the yeah. ridiculousness of this plot twist. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't just like, oh, she has something to live for, and it's the cheerleading squad. Mm-hmm. Um, she comes. The cheerleading squad is what brings her out of the coma. She says she doesn't really need it, but Jessica's like, "Well, come on, you were the best, mm-hmm. and it, like, let's do it." And then, like outside, they give her the uniform, as you said, and she makes Ricky leave the room so she can put it on right away in her hospital room. And then outside the window of the hospital, all the cheerleaders are there uh, cheering for her. Six of them: the Maria six of them. Santelli and Kara Walker mm-hmm. and Jessica and Sandy Bacon now, apparently, because I guess there's eight cheerleaders. Well, now. they weren't just going to fire Sandy. I yeah, mean, that wouldn't true. be fair. Because then Sandy <laughs> might try to kill herself. Yeah, you never know. You never know. We there's a whole other book yeah. about Sandy, like clumsy girl. About how badly oh, Sandy wanted. She's such a klutz. So now there are eight cheerleaders, which, guys, that is still a ridiculously small cheerleading squad for a school of this size. This is crazy. There should be 25 cheerleaders, not including alternates. Um, the other uh, happy ending of this is, of course, that uh, Ricky and Annie are together. That's right. They have this like undying love for each other. Mm-hmm. And he respects her, and she finally respects a boy. And then they go home and it's like 
well, that's over. Hey, we have this guest coming from New York, and one of us is going to go to New York and stay at her house, and one of us is going to entertain her. That's Suzanne right. Devlin is coming. Stay tuned. And it's like they immediately switch gears. I'm so excited about this New York trip. Mm-hmm. And it has been planted a couple of times before, but as I said, there's not really a B story. So yeah. this really is very tonally strange. Like, we just had this horrible thing like, happen. If you lived in Sweet Valley and you had an adventure every month or so or however many, however long these books are spaced it's apart, unclear. you would you would get over things quickly, you know? You, you got more adventures to have and you need to just move on <laughs> okay. to your next story. That's true. Yep. Well, speaking of which... I think it's time now for us to talk about boys. <gasps> boys. Oh, 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 a beautiful boy. a beautiful boy. I'm in danger of losing my head. I underlined so many passages about boys. Um, I wrote in the margins of this book at least three times. Look, men sell, solve everything. Can you give us some examples? Let's, yeah. Oh, I, I just opened to it right now. Okay. Um, Elizabeth is talking to Enid, and then there was Todd Wilkins, her boyfriend and the Gladiator star basketball player. If only Annie had a guy like Todd, Elizabeth thought, she wouldn't need an army of other guys. Mm. She just needs one perfect guy, and that's how she will suddenly have confidence and be have friends and not be a slut anymore. Well, and Elizabeth's right. Day. She yep. gets Ricky, and everything's great. What if you, what if you want more than one? But thing? who doesn't need a guy like Todd? Me, I don't need a guy like Todd. You know who I want a guy like? Okay, this is going to be weird. I need a guy like Bruce Patman. Hear me out. Tell me. Okay. Tell me about Bruce Patman. Okay, Bruce Patman is the rich guy in town. And he is a colossal Mm -hmm, douchebag. And he is every stereotype of rich douchebag ever. He's like James Spader in Pretty in Pink. All right, and what part of this is appealing? Uh, I, w- oh, I want to fuck with him so hard. Oh, I love He's it. He's like, okay. I want, I, I don't actually enjoy any of these characters. I think they are all terrible. And even Elizabeth, who is presented as the sweet, friendly, tw- you know, twin. Mm-hmm. She is so blind to so many horrible things around her that I can't stand her either. So I want to fuck okay. with Bruce Patman. I want to trick him into marriage and be that one. It's like, it goes so badly and then like cheat on him and get all the prenup. Like I want to wreck his car. Are you prepared to play a lot of tennis? <laughs> um, yeah, I would do that. I would mm-hmm. do that for Brucey. And I, I'm I'm kidding, guys. I don't want to. I don't want to date a rich douchebag. Just in case anyone was worried about me. <laughs> I mean, but I don't know. I don't really see any problems with look, this plan. There's, with there's times in your life good idea. when you need to eat greasy pancakes in a diner. There's times in your life when you need to date a sleazy guy and mess with him and ruin his life. Hmm. I think Bruce Patton could use some of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. He never seems to get a comeuppance, but maybe you could talk more about that. Well, um, oh, he gets it. Oh, oh, I don't (laughs) even want to think about it. All right. It's too terrible. Well, by the time they get to like, I believe early college, which is when this Lila Fowler book I read was set. Oh, okay. He seems to be doing great. Yeah. And has no problems. He's not a main character in this book, but. No, the comeuppance happens in like 20 books. From okay. now. <laughs> it's Fair. very sad. Fair. So stay tuned <laughs> for some real sad Bruce Patman news. Anyway, uh, not in this episode, but in like a few years, maybe, sure. if we're lucky. So um, there's one more thing I want to say about boys, and that is regarding Ricky Capaldo. We've talked about him a little bit already, but there was a line in this book that is from Ricky's perspective that I thought was actually really very beautiful. And it was, he's, he is kind of the moment when we are told that Ricky has a crush on Annie and he's trying to do some homework, but he can't get Annie out of his head. All he can think of is love songs. He keeps on, he can't do his civil war homework Mm -hmm. because he's trying to write and he keeps thinking about Annie and love songs. Mm-hmm. And this little reverie ends with uh, a phrase, Minutemen were marching across Concord Green, playing I Can't Smile Without You. <laughs> and I just thought that was really sweet. Whoever ghost wrote this book. Very sweet. Very specific job, reference. It made me remember one of my favorite scenes in Hellboy 2. It was just a beautiful moment. 
Which scene is that? They sing Can't Smile Without You, Hellboy and Abe get drunk and sing Can't Smile Without You while thinking about the the ladies they're in love with. Yep. I should have guessed. Yeah, it's beautiful. They're drinking Tecate, which is also a nice touch. Well, a young Salma Blair could have played Annie Whitman in the movie. Oh, yeah, she would have been perfect. She would have been perfect at Mm -hmm. that age. Salma Blair. Salma Blair for Annie Whitman. Get a time machine. Make it happen. That's boys. Mm -hmm. Beautiful boys, a beautiful boys, a beautiful boys. So this book is really important to me. And that was part of why I wanted to have you read it with me. Because this is the book that I found. This very book right here that I read, reread yesterday. This exact copy. This exact copy is the book that I found in the free box outside the Powell's bookstore in Hyde Park, Chicago, Illinois. And read all of that night. Mm-hmm. That led to me coming home to the apartment that we then shared with our two other roommates mm-hmm. and telling you all exactly what happened in this crazy book that I found in this box <laughs> that I sort of remembered the series. I mean, I knew what it was mm-hmm. and I just picked it up on a whim and oh my God, it was so crazy. I need to collect these books. And I started collecting the books, which then led to the blog, which mm-hmm. then all these many, many years later uh, led to this podcast that we're on right now. So I read this book and I have told and retold the story of this book to people as an example <laughs> of why I think the series is amazing and worth reading and talking about yeah. and writing about and thinking about from a modern perspective because it was like 2005 probably when yeah. I read this book. So it was already like over 20 years after it was published and I was like, this seems nuts. It also is very interesting from a cultural perspective because this was written to be ephemera. These were not meant these books were not meant to be read and reread and reread true. by children. They were That's meant to be read once and then you're eagerly anticipating the next. That's true. It's like it's pulp fiction. You 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 yeah. read it and it's entertainment instead of TV. You know, yeah. you get the next thing. It is penny dreadfuls for eighties tweens. Very true. So, but I do think it says something interesting about culture and the way culture has changed because mm-hmm. even penny dreadfuls for tweens in 2017 would not be like this, right? But. Um, when I reread this book, I kept on waiting for the scene where Annie is at her house and she's looking around the bathroom and she's thinking about her mom and how she just never really felt supported by her mom. And she makes the fateful decision to open the bottle of pills and she takes the pills And we got past the point where Annie was in the hospital and past the point where people were showing up. And I kept on waiting and waiting for this scene that I remembered. Huh. And it wasn't in there. And that means that I made it up. In my mind, my memory of this book included a scene from Annie's perspective. You subconsciously edited this book, Marissa, to include a scene that really should have been in there. Although none of the other book... Was from Annie's perspective, really. Not much, but the book... Still, though. We got, a, we got several pages from Ricky's perspective, so... It's almost like they were trying to underplay the suicide by not making it into a bigger deal, yeah. when it's like, that's problematic in its own right. Yeah. Uh, good point. Yeah. So I think you had some passages that you highlighted. I did. Elizabeth experienced a sinking sensation in her stomach. When Jessica came on like that, it meant she had the goods. <laughs> Which means in this in this instance that Jessica has some hot goss about Annie and her dating life, which it turns out to be not that interesting. Like, hey, she went on some dates. Yeah. There's another moment where Annie goes on a date with or dates two dudes in one night. Yeah. Not much is made of that, but that seems pretty precocious for a 15-year-old. It does. Oh, and also she's going for a night swim with Rick and Dover. So yeah. if that's not meant to subtly suggest that she's having sex, I don't know what is, but... I, I right after that, I highlighted a passage and wrote next to it, what, with three A's? You remember the wonderful Rick Andover, the wild maniac who kidnapped us and almost got us arrested and killed at Kelly's bar? Guess who was running around with him last night? <laughs> well, when you put it that way, arrested and killed is not really anything that was on the table. So it's a little bit of an exaggeration. Okay, fair enough. I didn't know this. I have not read that book, so I'm like, Rick Andover had them almost had them arrested and killed, and now someone is still dating Rick Andover? I'm like, that seems odd. I mean, future volumes of this book will include, like, you know, knife-wielding maniacs and evil twins. So, I mean, it's all, it's all par for the course. Yucky math stuff. Math is referred to as yucky. 
I don't feel like that is a good message for young girls reading this book. No, but I do like how Elizabeth's like, I don't know, it's just math. Like, what's the deal? <laughs> like, math's not too hard. So, good. Another reason yeah. that I am an Elizabeth, which is a great segue into an important question that I ask all my guests. Mm-hmm. And I think that you might not enjoy answering it. And the question is, <laughs> are you an Elizabeth or a Jessica? Oh my. Um Honestly, if I had to pick one, gun to my head, I'm going to go with Jessica. Sorry about it. I'm no I'm no doormat. Look, <laughs> I'm not. And so I guess I have to go with Jessica, even though I hate her. Well, this is why we're friends. Yeah. You know, cuz yin and yang, you know? Absolutely. That uh Clerk at Trader Joe's asked us if we were sisters the other day. He sure did. It was and cute. Even though it was the first time in like 19 years of friendship mm-hmm. that somebody asked us that, he must have sensed that I was the Elizabeth and you were the Jessica. I believe it was because we were finishing each other's sentences. And also I knew how old you were. And also you that you knew. Yeah. You, yeah. I was too. keeping track of your birthday. I forget how old I am and Marissa knows exactly to the day. So that's, that was fun too. <laughs> it's really impressive. I know. Oh, I know. That's Marissa's superpower is remembering things like Sweet Valley High books and other people's birthdays. One of these things <laughs> oh, is not like the sarcastic. other. No, but you do. You know, everybody's <laughs> birthday. This is a fact about Marissa. Tell her your birthday. She will never forget. <laughs> And your birth year, because I'm keeping track of everyone's <laughs> aging. As long as you don't know my social, I think we'll still be friends. and It'll be fine. Well, don't tell me, and I won't know it. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Um, readers, if you're on the beach in Santa Monica and you want something to read, you could do worse than Sweet Valley High. The sun, the sand, it's the appropriate setting for it. And I say this only to brag that we were on the beach in Santa Monica. <laughs> I can think of no better endorsement that I have ever heard of the Sweet Valley High series from a modern reader of it. So, Mary, could you read for us the teaser for book number 11, which also serves as a teaser for a future season of Sweet Valley Diaries? I would be honored to, Marissa. And here we go. Both twins get more than they bargained for in Sweet Valley High number 11. Too good to be true. Which is all in caps. All caps. That is very vague teasing. Indeed. Um, Especially since what they're bargaining for is apparently a trip to New York and or hanging out with a, a nice girl. I Wow, I don't even know what more could be bargained for that. Well, we'll see about the nice girl part. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. (gasps) Mm -hmm. Well, that just remains for me to thank you, Mary Parker, my favorite. Favorite Mary? Am I your? No, wait, you have another Mary. Shit, I do have (laughs) another really good friend named Mary. I don't have, I don't have a a middle, middle or second name though. So it's like (laughs) favorite singular Mary. You really are. Yeah. Thanks again to Mary Parker, and thanks as always to Don Flaxbart, Lauren Shippen, Nick Riley, Mary-Kate Battles, and Jocelyn Schofield for the use of her song, Beautiful Boys. Tune in to next week's Extra Drama bonus episode for the thrilling conclusion of Season 1 of Sweet Valley Diaries. In the meantime, write to me at sweetvalleydiaries at me.com, or find me on Twitter at Sweet Valley, or on Instagram at Sweet Valley Diaries. Jessica Wakefield has sworn never to allow Annie Whitman onto the Sweet Valley High cheerleading squad. Annie may have the beauty, talent, and spirit to be a cheerleader, but she also has the worst reputation in school. She goes out with a different boy every night, and all the girls call her Easy Annie, which is the worst possible slur. Did you know that? That that's the worst thing you can call someone? Easy? Easy? Mm hmm. Because people should be difficult, Marissa. <laughs> God, that's easy. (laughs) Yo.